podcast this week as we move on from the potpourri episode to not the granddaddy of them all but the biggest party of them all the fiesta ball preview andrew callahan and sean fitz here as we are going to talk everything penn state and washington on saturday 4 p.m kick eastern time it'll be 2 p.m here for me at mountain time and as we record this now we are not only in two different times on sean but we are in two different days so i will applaud you for making it on the other side of midnight. I appreciate that, and I also appreciate the granddaddy of them all reference. You're going to be there next week, I hear. Uh, yes, but uh, that is called a tease, so we're not going to go into that. We'll talk about it a little bit more later. <laughs> uh, speaking of a terrible tease, we, of course, ha- cannot do this in person. Like I said, we're in different time zones, so we are on Skype. It's been an ominous start here because let's just let the cat out of the bag. As I'm trying to boot up Skype for the first time in three years and dust it off on my desktop, um, I almost called my ex-girlfriend three times before finally connecting with you and then had about five mess-ups where we had to cut and edit the first episode. So let's have a better start and finish to this one, shall we? I hope so. I hope so. And and we're not bringing your ex-girlfriend in for a special guest appearance. I'm sorry to anybody that's hopeful for that. But uh, we've got some Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, we were there that you were going to do the old uh, bait and switch that (laughs) reverse. We're not going to have her on right now. (laughs) But stay tuned. And we might spoil Andrew's night. Uh, anyway, yeah, so stick, since we're sticking with the Fiesta Bowl, we're going to go with the second half of our normal rundown that we had during the season. Talk when Penn State has the ball, when Washington has the ball. The old 3-2-1 breakdown, three matchups, two concepts, one prediction. You'll have to wait for our score prediction until Friday, but we'll get into basically everything else right now. So when Penn State has the ball, new offensive coordinator, Saquon Barkley, probably his last game. Trace McSorley will be back. This is the offense that we've really known for the last two years and the last time it'll be out there. So where else would we start with but Ryan Bates at right tackle? So (laughs) this is going to be interesting for me because this is a move I wrote about a couple of weeks ago that's basically been made in two parts. Ryan Bates has spent the entirety of his Penn State career on the left side of the line. Originally at left guard, most recently at left tackle. But he's moving over to right tackle because he has a hurt left ankle. So when he is dropping into his pass set, a lot of that weight is going to be transferred on to his right ankle and away from his injured leg. The other part about it is Will Fries has really settled in on that left side. It's where he's practiced for most of his career. And I think overall this is a move that will help Penn State up front. But still, with a guy who's making his first career start in a new position in the Fiesta Bowl, it's probably the biggest question mark facing this offense, even against the, one of the best defenses in the country in Washington. Yeah, it upsets the balance a little bit. But if you're if you're looking for a guy to make a move and, and feel comfortable, I think it's Ryan Bates. I mean, he's your best offensive lineman. Um, you know, he's he's played all over the place. I mean, he played at tackle in high school. He can play on he can play on the right side. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it it's going to be an interesting situation. Uh, Washington very strong off the edge. They can get to the quarterback with their linebackers as well. So it will be more about communication in my in, in my mind. But you take Chaz right out of the game, and no disrespect to Chaz, just hasn't been very good at times this year. So um, I think you you improve no matter what side of the ball Bates or excuse me, what side of the center Bates is on. As long as he's in there, I think you've got a better offensive line. Yeah, 
now this is obviously something that interested me. I let out with it. The number one thing that interests you when Penn State has the ball against Washington is? I'm really curious what Penn State's going to do to get Washington's linebackers out of the box. Um, they're good coming off the edge. Uh, of course, they'll, they'll be missing their, their best linebacker. They've been without for, for a while now, so it's not really a, 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 any news or anything like that. But, you know, when, when Penn State has faced seven, eight guys in the box, they've struggled to run the football with Saquon Barkley. So I'm, I'm wondering what they do to, to sort of even those things up. It'll be a, a sort of a litmus test for Ricky Ronnie to see what he does with Saquon Barkley. Does he put him in the slot? Does he move him around? Does he, you know, does he do some things with Miles Sanders that we're not used to seeing? Does I, I think he's got options to do so. Um, you know, I think they're going to pound the flats. I think uh, Jasicki and, and Hamilton are going to be guys that they turn to fairly often. So just sort of open that up, get them away from the football to start to play, and and you've got an opportunity to to break some holes for Saquon Barkley. So I think that's probably the most interesting interesting thing for when Penn State has the ball you got to get those guys out of there and if you can do so you can you can have some success and honestly I think it's going to be highly difficult to get them out of there because the outside linebackers in this defense effectively serve as defensive ends you know you could characterize it as a 4-2-5 or a 2-4-5 but the bottom line is the base defense for Washington is a nickel they have five defensive backs out there for well more than half of their snaps it's the way they've been playing because the Pac-12 outside of Stanford I mean everyone's playing with at least three wide receivers what's Penn State's most common personnel combination well there are 11 personnel three wide outs one tight end and one running back so they're going to be with handling what Penn State's going to bring from a formation and personnel standpoint. I think the linebackers will stay in there. However, as you just mentioned, perhaps they go empty to get them out there in space a little bit because Saquon Barkley one-on-one with any linebacker in the country essentially is a mismatch in favor of Penn State. Um, I don't think it would be some of those outside backers who, again, as I mentioned, you know, they're, they're basically in there with Vita Vea and Greg Gaines, the two starting defensive linemen who are huge. They're powerful. They're amongst the best in the country. And, and Bowen, Bowman and Bartlett on the outside are good rushers. So then it falls to the safeties and, and perhaps the inside linebackers. Um, ben Burkhurvin spoke with today. You know, he's a guy who, who's very aware of what he's got to do in the box, doesn't really stray from there. So uh, it's the safeties that I think when you're talking about those flats, handling a Deshaun Hamilton who's going to be in the slot or a Mike Kosicki at tight end or even Saquon Barkley. But those guys are good tacklers. They're two and three in terms of their leading tacklers this season and have kept together a secondary that lost three NFL players in the first two rounds of the last draft. Yeah, this is a very talented defense despite those losses. I mean, and it's an attacking defense as well, which we've seen with Penn State, you know, has been slow to get that handoff off to Barkley. Uh, for an attacking defense, I mean, they got to be licking their chops at that. So it's going to be up to Ricky Ronnie to keep them off balance, to get those guys out of the box and, and see what they can do. Because, you know, this as attacking as they are, that usually leaves you susceptible to, to breaking the big plays. Well, Washington doesn't, you know, allow a ton of explosive plays. So, um, you know, it's a very well-rounded defense there's plenty of challenges there um you know do you see someone like Juwan Johnson step up and you see more 50-50 balls down the field or whatnot I don't know uh it's a tough defense to scheme against just because they're so solid all around yeah, and they do a good job with disguise. I mean, you know, I mentioned they're, they're really a four-two-five defense. You'll see them jump in between a lot of cover one, which Penn State will play. They'll also do some safe fire zones, again, a Penn State favorite, where you've got three deep zones, three underneath, and then a five-man rush in front of it. And it, again, it, it lends to that experience that they have. You know, you've got guys in your front seven you've relied on for a while that are confident in their assignments, even if they're moving around a little bit. And the safeties, again, have been very, very good in the roles they've been put in, Taylor Rapp uh, and Ezekiel Turner. So, as you 
said, they don't give up explosive plays. They're number one in the country in limiting explosive plays. So to me, that says this game will fall on McSorley's shoulders. He's got to be patient. He's got to be steady. And, and that's okay for Penn State because essentially that's what they've been forced to do all season. People have been hanging back and denying those big pass plays downfield. Yeah, it's not a change for them at all. They're used to it. Um You'd love to see Barkley, you know, ha- go out with a big game or whatnot, but I'm not sure that this one's in the cards for it to happen. Obviously, he's talented enough where he can break that play at any time, but at the same time, you're right. It, it falls on McSorley's shoulders. He's got to be the guy that makes the decisions, not only with his arm, but with his legs. I mean, he's got to pull it a couple times, keep them honest, and and, and make some things happen there. So I, I agree 100% with your assessment. Uh, Trace McSorley is going to be the guy that, that sort of makes Penn State make or break Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the reason too about Barkley that it's not only just the entire defense is very sturdy; it's multiple, it's strong. But Vita Vea, their nose tackle, a guy who I wrote about last week, is outstanding. I mean, he is in my kind of film crush territory. He, he's dismantling double teams. He's holding on for as long as he needs to. He's very agile for someone who's 340 freaking pounds. He's a guy who you're going to hear his name called in the first round of the NFL draft. He's, he's I mean, a grace. He's, he's a graceful 340 pounder, is what you're saying. Yes, he, he is a man, and it, it's it's not even a man among boys. He is just a, a load in the middle, but not in the sense of he's just difficult to move. I mean, he, he's difficult to move against his will, whether he wants to go in a direction or just stay put. So running against that, I think, is going to be really difficult, particularly considering the issues Penn State has had in the interior of its line. Tackles have been, you know, a lot of injury situation and moving parts, but sometimes you've just seen the likes of Connor McGovern, Stephen Gonzalez, and Brendan Mann just not get the job done. Now, they did have a very good game against Michigan, another team that played some odd front or had a defensive tackle on Maurice Hurst, who was the only uh, defensive tackle that was rated higher than Via Veda this year by Pro Football Focus. But it's it's different because Hurst is much smaller than Vea. And again, Grant Gaines is a guy who I haven't brought up a whole lot, but also very strong and a guy they bring up. So Barkley running against that, you know, long point, uh, short point made long, it, it's just going to be difficult. And I think it's difficult to depend for Penn State to say, okay, Barkley's going to get 100 here, which means it's going to fall to McSorley. And again, those short targets, because they can't go downfield, Deshaun Hamilton and Mike Kosicki game. But Mike Kosicki is going to have to win those one-on-one matchups um, against the defense backs if you can't trust your offensive line to win its one-on-one consistently against really good NFL talent. Yeah, I feel like they're going to be 3-2 to two in that interior. I mean, you're going to have to use all three of those guys on those those two fantastic defensive linemen for, for Washington. And, and that can be a problem. You're going to leave Ryan Bates out on his own. You're going to leave Will Fries out on his own. And, and they're going to attack. So that's going to cause Penn State problems in the running game. Um, you know, and, and that's where McSorley comes in if he can keep it uh you know he can have some success but there are obviously issues there that 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 penn state's going to have to face what i would do if i'm them and we'll get a little bit more into this on friday when i have my game plan piece is basically for penn state to to have some coverage indicators is just go empty i mean i mentioned that washington's been very good in disguise if you start with a running back out wide and then bring him into the backfield you know that will tell you a lot about what they want to do or if you start him in the backfield and split him out wide because if you've got a defender following him you know across the formation it's a clear indicator of man if you've got a safety that drops down as you motion him from the backfield and out wide as he comes down that means they're either in cover one or cover three. So not only does that help trace pre-snap, but I think it spreads them out and provides those one-on-one matchups where you don't have to worry about a Mike Kosicki getting doubled between a linebacker and a safety, or you've got Saquon one-on-one somewhere else, or perhaps any number one of the wideouts. So I, I would go empty a little bit more if I were them. I mean, they've been disguising their back alignment and something they've been doing more as of late. Um, but beyond that, it's really going to be interesting to see what Ricky Rowney does, because of course this is his first game as the offensive coordinator, and calling plays, which he'll be doing from the booth. Yeah, that's a, that's a big change. Obviously, Joe 
Moorhead was down on the field. Uh, Ricky has been in the booth all year. It's not a big change for him, but when you're putting those plays in, you got to rely on, you know, guys like Tommy Stevens and Billy Fessler and, and those guys to get those play in. And, you know, the, the offensive coaches that are on the field, I mean, it's, it's going to be a big change. It's going to be a learning curve there. Um, not a hundred percent sure how that's going to happen, but at the same time, I mean, I, I I'm not sure, you know, how that's going to impact the flow of the game. I'm not sure how it's going to impact the, the time in between huddles and plays and things like that. So it, it, it's crazy what this could change for Penn State, even just a, a, a minuscule detail like this. Right. And the thing with Ricky Rowney, when he was up in the booth the entirety of this season and the past year, what he was doing was was feeding information down to Joe Moorhead about the alignment, typically the three technique, defensive tackle and the nose tackle, which would tell Joe what kind of run plays he wanted to want or to run, because what you're doing is finding the open A gap, which is a little bit they call it a bubble and it makes it easier to generate double teams and get your offense going, which their inside zone all starts with that double team between the center and the guard. So when you're looking for where that nose tackle is, which side of the center, that's where Ricky Roddy previously was just passing on that information. Now I presume he's going to have to process that himself and then make the calls accordingly. Of course, the benefits for Penn State that they don't huddle, that they can go up tempo. But I'll be curious to see if he sticks in the booth next year because, again, you know, if he's down on the sideline and can absorb more information down there and make adjustments with the players and have someone serve for the role that he did for Joe Moorhead, that might be, again, the best-case scenario. But for now, at least, I think, like you said, it makes sense. He's been in there all year. So long as Trace is fine with it, I mean, he might as well just stay up there. Um, but we know that's going to happen. What would be something that happens that just absolutely shocks you? Penn State? Is only a two-point favorite. This could be a low-scoring game. It could obviously be a high-scoring game. But what's something that would just floor you if we saw this on Saturday? I think it would be it'd be surprising to see a low-scoring game. I know that there's two new offensive coordinators. Of course, uh, Jonathan Smith, who was the offensive coordinator at Washington, is now the head coach at Oregon State. Um, so there, there's going to be probably some bumps in the road for the offenses in the first half. But it really would surprise me if this one ended up a low-scoring game. Um, I, I, I think that, that there's enough explosion on both sides that they can, you know, they can take care of business. And the defenses, while they're good, they're, they're not bulletproof. I mean, they, they they can give up these big plays. Washington doesn't do it a ton. Penn State doesn't do it a ton. But, you know, there's there's holes in there and there's skill on the outside on both sides. So I'd be pretty surprised if this was a low-scoring game. But then again, I'm not a handicapper. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Well, we're going to find out about your handicapping skills. So I think your bold prediction has a little bit to do in the uh, in the betting vein, doesn't Spoiler. it? Spoiler. Yes. What would su- what would surprise you? Um, I think a low scoring game is certainly in the cards. I think what would surprise me, considering how well coached both of these teams are, and they're also veteran groups, is if you just saw this game be defined by a series of mistakes that were really uncharacteristic of what broke them. Because both of these teams are tended to. Both of them had difficult, close losses, one-score losses in conference play, and that were on the road. So these are teams that first don't beat themselves, and they're able to rely on their NFL talent to get them there. Of course, Penn State is going to be Saquon Barkley. Defensively, you know, Marcus Allen's up there. Uh, Mike Kosicki offensively. For Washington, Jake Browning. You know, Miles Gaskin. And then defensive, we already talked about Vea. Um, they're strong secondary and, and great games. So they're not going to beat themselves. If you just had fumbles all over the place, interceptions are probably going to happen one or two here or there. But if this is just you know a turnover, mistake, penalty-filled game, I'd be shocked. I'd be disappointed. And particularly given the extra time they've had to prepare, uh, would be, <laughs> be kind of sad. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. Chris Peterson knows what he's been doing. He's been in this role before. We talked about it before. You know, Great experience in the festival, beating Oklahoma with Boise State. 
MBTCU. And, uh, you know, of course, James Franklin will have the lines ready to go. Now, defensively, that job falls to Brent Pry, and, and he has got his hands full this week because Peterson's offense, for me, the few games that I've been able to watch so far, has been a blast. And it's because their offense is so damn different than what Penn State does. And that doesn't mean it, it, it's better. It's just a stark contrast because – Washington's base personnel is going to be two tight ends, but even then, it, it's difficult to pin them down because they do so much. The, the tight ends will act as fullbacks. They'll be split out wide. They'll get subbed out. They'll go to three tight ends. They'll even go empty. But the core of this is, again, primarily going to be two tight ends. It's going to be a base zone running game. But, again, they'll sprinkle in different things where as soon as you can key in on that, they'll jump to something else. And what makes it all go, of course, is going to be Browning because he's able to handle all these different concepts and handoffs and different schemes. So it's difficult to get a beat on them because of that multiple nature of their offense, but also pre-snap, they're moving around a ton. And basically what they want to do is out-leverage you before the, the ball is snapped. So just imagine, again, we talked about the two tight ends. If they have them both aligned to the right side, and it's the most basic example I can give, and then before the snap is given, moving both of them over to the left. Well, that's a shift unto itself. You have to move your defensive front, and you're going to have some different adjustments to make. But then what if one moves all the way back to the right? So they've got you in motion pre-snap to move your rise, to move your defense, and ultimately move you out out of a position where they can hit you with a weak spot. Um, that was a lot I just threw out there. But the bottom line is they're going to be in motion basically every single play. Penn State typically is not. They're going to move in different personnel groupings, and it's an offense that I think Penn State is very happy that they have extra time to break down. Yeah, absolutely, and I think they're pretty happy to have Jason Cabinda and Brandon Smith in there, guys that have played a lot of football, guys that uh, can make those calls on the fly, and I think they'll be very important for Penn State on Saturday. Um, so it, it, it's going to be a situation where you know Washington's not going to spread them out. They don't have a ton of weapons on the outside. Browning, I think, is a very good college quarterback. His numbers were down a little bit this year, but at, at, go back to the end of the day. I mean, this was a guy that we talked about coming into the year as a potential Heisman guy. So um, they've got opportunity. They've got weapons. Um, I don't think it's going to, again, be an explosive game from them, but they can put points up if they need to, and they can run the football, which, you know, uh, Penn State, if you grind on them, you know, they're going to have issues because the the depth they have at linebacker and, and uh, I guess, the numbers that they have at defensive end. Right. They are just ruthlessly efficient. And part of it stems from, of course, you don't have the explosive players on the outside. Dante Pettis, though, you know, he, he's their leading receiver. He's the best punt returner in the country. He's got 40 more catches than anyone else does in this roster. So outside of Pettis, they need to go to that kind of steady eddy offense, a couple yards here, a couple yards there, because, you know, Peterson's offense, again, I mentioned all the motion and your different personnel groupings and just trying to out leverage you pre snap uh, or get you a little bit confused post snap with some of their, you know, misdirection is that they just want to get their speed guys in space. And with Dante Pettis and John Ross a year ago, I mean, we all saw what that offense was able to do. Jake Browning had over 40 touchdown passes, and they met Alabama in the playoff. John Ross is gone along with some other talent, and they've had a tight end, freshman Hunter Bryant, who has a partially torn ACL. He's their best receiving tight end. It really makes a difference there because Pettis, of course, holds it down to the outside, and they'll move Pettis around. But Bryant is a mismatch over the middle, and he practiced for the first time leading up to the Fiesta Bowl. I'm not sure if he'll be out there on Saturday, but that's a name to know because if Hunter Bryant is out out there that will change things drastically for Penn State and before a question about him could even be asked the other day Brent probably just goes mismatch he's a problem and that's a name again I said to, to remember he could be out there he might be a decoy um, but because the other tight ends really don't scare you from a receiving perspective you can really double down on Pettis and like you said uh, Browning's got to make plays happen back there because there aren't many targets to throw to outside of number eight 
Yeah, this is a this is a team that's going to go with its running game. Miles Gaskin obviously is a guy that carries the load for them, and we've been talking about him for a couple of years. They got a couple of uh, of younger guys there as well. The guy that I look to on this defense that that it's more important than probably anybody, and we saw it in the Ohio State game. We saw it when he was now out for Michigan State. Is Ryan Buckholz? I mean, when you've got a guy that's that versatile that can that can play the run like he does, but also you know uh, collapse the pocket as a pass rusher, it can be huge in a game like this. So um, getting. Buckholz back, I, I think, can make all the difference for Penn State. Can really help slow them down, and and then you can you can get Shaka Tony, you can get Shane Simmons in there in situations and, and go after the quarterback uh, when that's really all they're asked to do, which is when they're at their best. So uh, Buckholz is a guy I keep going back to as as a real key for this game. Right, and if it's not going to be Gaskin that, that Buckholz and company are looking to contain, you're looking at Savan Ahmed or Ahmed, excuse me, is good freshman back. They'll use him, you know, primarily in jet sweep uh, scenarios and packages, and they're also getting a backup back in Levon Coleman, who's able to spell Gaskin, who's got a really good jump cut, and, and it's a little bit of a different back than they've seen. I mean, Lorenzo Harrison might be a fair comparison, uh, but but I'm, you know, excuse me, uh, Gaskin is going to be just a, a much better version of what Harrison brought, more compact, but just a, a little looser. It doesn't really, you know, remind you of anyone outside of just a, really a better version of Harrison. So they've got a good stable backs they're going to rely on, and that's really also because their offensive line underwent some difficult changes in the middle of the year. They lose a start uh, left tackle in Trey Adams. They have to shift around to that left side. So they were able to mitigate those losses by becoming more run oriented, and they're much stronger on that right side. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who lines up against. You know, their backups on the left side, they got a redshirt freshman there, whether it is Tony or whether it is Sharif Miller or Ryan Buckholz, um, because, you know, Buckholz and Sharif Miller, I think, will be able to hold down better against the run. And that's really going to be the starting point here, in addition to containing Pettis, to just get those guys to have good angles, hold down and read their keys um, against this line, which could be exposed there, particularly on the left side. Yeah, Penn State's going to have to be strong up front. And we're not telling you anything you don't know from that aspect. But, you know, they're, they're front four. And, and, and a guy like uh, Kevin Givens, you know, he can be active. He can we might see him at end a little bit this week uh, to play against that run game. Um, so he, he might be there. Tyrell Chavis, I think has, has been sort of undersold this year, came in with a lot of hype, but, but has played very, very solid down the stretch. Um, so I think Penn state will be okay inside. Um, what they get out of their defensive ends depends on how Buckholz holds up, depends on what, what Sharif Miller does against the run and, and we'll go from there. So um, I think Penn state has a shot to sort of bottle that up. But at the end of the day, that defensive line, has to be better than it than it's been most of the season. Right, and secondarily, you know, the other part is keeping Browning contained. Not so much from just he's going to run and scramble as it is for his own rush yards, but again, we mentioned it earlier. Outside of Dante Pettis, Washington's pass catchers have a difficult time separating and getting open, but they're able to do so because Browning does such a great job evading pressure. And that's really been Penn State's Achilles heel in their last three losses. You look against USC with Sam Darnold, JT Barrett in Ohio State, and also Brian Lewerke with Michigan State. They couldn't bring any of them down consistently or really get to them at all. So if they let Browning escape and give players outside of Pettis more time to get open, Browning's going to find them. He's extremely accurate. But if they're able to keep contain and work on the controlled pass rush that they've talked about in recent days, I think that's another big key because the run defense has been pretty strong. I mean, Gaskin's going to get his, but I don't think he's going to break out of here for major yards. However, Browning could break out multiple times to create explosive pass plays, and that would really break the back of this Penn State defense, as it has, as we said, in the last three losses. The only three losses they've had in the last 15 months. Yeah, we've seen 
how um, productive when things break down that Trace McSorley has been. I look at Browning in the same in the same mention. I mean, he's not the most accurate guy downfield. Um, he's accurate in the short intermediate games, no doubt about it. He's got a strong arm, but uh, you know he he can get on the move and throw that ball up there, and his guys can go make plays. Uh, Pettis is as electric as anybody in the country, probably you know more so on the special teams side, but you know he can do it as a receiver too. So um, should be fun to watch. I mean, it's it, it's a really well-rounded team. I think it, when you look at Chris Peterson, who's been in this situation before, knows how to catch coach in this situation, I, I just think it's a really good football team. It is. All right, well, let's go on to the 3-2-1, three matchups, two concepts, one prediction, and get everybody out of here. Uh, first one, I was just talking about a Penn State's defensive ends versus Browning in rush contain. You know, I was talking with Parker Cawthorn the other day and Jason Gamidna about this. You know, again, what, what does this ultimately come down to when everyone's talking about rush lane integrity and what are the techniques? And, and you know, some of the stuff I know, but how would they best boil it down in the simplest terms? And basically it's this. When you're looking at the defensive ends, you know, you hear keep contain and, and keep the edge strong. What they're aiming to do as they're rushing upfield in pass rush situations is to hit the up the back shoulder of the quarterback or the, the throwing shoulder of the quarterback. So as long as they're staying, you know, just underneath that, they'll be fine because the interior rushers or those defensive tackles are looking to push up right towards his front shoulder, the one that's closer to the line of scrimmage. So together, there's almost this suffocation of the pocket that they need to do. But if the edge rusher goes either inside and then allows an outside lane that creates a hole. Or if he goes too far upfield, I mean, there's no more useless spot to be as a pass rusher than behind the quarterback. So as long as they stay disciplined in that, I think that's my number one matchup to watch for because, again, Washington will move the ball on the ground. I don't think it'll be you know so thorough that they're going to dominate Penn State up front. But the thing that will hurt Penn State most is if Browning's able to buy time for the receivers who need it or hit Pettis in kind of a scramble situation. However, he won't be able to do that if, if Penn State does stay disciplined, again, aiming for the right shoulder and staying true to their technique. Browning has the ability to keep Penn State's defense on the field by doing exactly what you're saying, and I think that that, that is why this is such a key matchup. I um, mean, get outside the pocket, and and we've mentioned that outside of Pettis, there there aren't guys that are going to you know get open just based on being a root, a root runner, based on you know beating you downfield with speed. But if you have to cover these guys long enough, uh, Browning's going to find them and, and, and make you pay. So that's that that's absolutely huge. Penn State's defense has to get off the field on third down. They haven't always been so successful with that, and if you know he gets if he gets moving around back there, and and they lose sight of some guy, that that can all of a sudden turn into an explosive play. So I agree with you there. Uh, second matchup, you, we've talked about it before. Penn State's interior offensive line against Vita Vea. Uh, that's a tough draw right there. Of course, they had Big Stevie last year from USC. Um, mm-hmm. Did did okay there, um, but at the, at the end of the day, I mean, Vita Vea is man, he's a big dude he's an athletic dude uh he's a guy that can really change a game even though you know he's not going to put up double digit tackles or anything like that he's a guy that can change the 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 outset of a game just by being there yeah i mean he was a pac-12 defensive player of the year for a reason and again for those stats that you just mentioned he only only had a couple of sacks and was not up there high in terms of total tackles that he generated but that's just not the nature of his position and stevie t again the guy who ruined the fourth quarter for penn state a year ago in the rose bowl that's a guy partly because of his age but went in the sixth round of last year's nfl draft vita again is going in the first round it's a nose tackle. So how well they're able to handle him, I think they certainly got a shot. But, you know, even some of the best offensive linemen 
in the Pac-12. Couldn't handle this dude. And those, you're looking at a, a young offensive line for Penn State. you got a good player and a veteran, Brendan Mann. But they're going to need a lot of help. And it'll be consistent snap after snap against this guy because you know, he, he's really a, a one-man wrecking ball. Those Pac-12 um, Pac nose tackles, man. I don't know where they get them. Uh, yeah, true. I, I, know, I know they're bloodlines, most of them. But, man, they are something to watch. Uh, athletic, huge, just all over the place. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a breed that we don't see too many of in the East Coast. So it'd be really interesting to see how McGovern and 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 Brendan Mann and and Stephen Gonzalez, who also have a little beef their own, um, how they handle those guys. Right. Last one. Uh, the coverage units on special teams against Saquon Barkley and Dante Pettis. Washington's one of their weak spots has been, you know, in their kicking game, but also in their coverage units on kickoffs. I think this again, you know, it, unless they're able to boom it out of bounds, which they haven't been so successful with this year, Barkley's going to have a chance to bring some of these back. Now, obviously, they're very aware of what he can do, so they'll be scheming all week some short kicks, perhaps down the middle, um, you know, just bouncing balls, whatever they can do to. Pre- prevent him from having clear rushing lanes Penn State's got to do the same thing against Dante Pettis with these punt returns nine career touchdowns all-time leader for the NCAA and they're going to be without their best gunner Nerf Charles we talked about that in the potpourri episode of the pod um but these are going to be really two key areas where I mentioned, you know, I would be surprised if there's a mistake-filled game. But you could see mistakes on special teams, and both of these guys are going to make their their opponent pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Two dynamic guys that are both in, back in different situations where, where you know, both units have been good this year. But, you know, there's, there's holes there. They're not bulletproof back there. So um, will we see Barkley as much as a kick returner now that the Heisman campaign is over? Yeah, I think you see him back there, no doubt about it. And, and, yes. and you, you, you've got uh, – I think this is where Blake Gillikin's so important. I mean, Pettis is just phenomenal as a punt returner. Gillikin has been, you know, uh, very, very, very good. Um, you know, you, you kick it to that sideline, you see what happens. You're, you're going to miss Irv Charles, uh, even though he didn't have a ton of stats to back up. He was their best gunner. So um, you see a guy like Aaron Monroe get out there, maybe a Garrett Taylor or something like that, uh, get down the field, um, stay in your lanes, and, and just keep this guy in front of you because, you know, one cut and he can be gone. So uh, this is a tremendously important matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if, if either of these guys took a uh, kickback for a touchdown sticking with Pettis let's move on to the number two part of our breakdown two concepts uh very simple brackets and we talked about this before i'm trying to remember which opponent it might have been um but we've introduced there are a couple different kinds of brackets where it's basically a double team defensively that you're playing in a particular wide receiver and as we said he he is far and away the best option jake browning has to to throw to so they'll move him around not only just to slot the outside sometimes some backfield looks or keep him in motion so it'll be difficult to put two players on him but if i'm penn state i mean you know that you can as brent probably put it you know work so hard to to get all over him and he'll still out leverage you because of how fast and explosive he is but i I think you'll see a lot of high low brackets where you can have corners rolled up playing press coverage and underneath where they're able to you know guard against these outbreaking routes a little bit better because they're already there with um you know underneath and working towards the sideline and you're aware of that safety help you have over top penn state has used brackets so far this season you know with teams that have one receiver they really like to go to on third down or one receiver they really like to go throughout the entire game that's what Washington has in Pettis. And in key situations, I think you'll see either Troy Apke or Marcus Allen 
slanted a little bit more towards his side. And again, a corner rolled up. They'll do some inside-out stuff, sure, I'm, I'm sure, too. But just look for that safety. Be a little closer where Pettis is. And if he's following, it doesn't necessarily mean he's in man coverage, but he's helping out as part of these brackets that they'll use to try to contain him, which, again, might not work. But, you, but you've got to do that considering his talent and his talent relative to the other wide receivers Washington has. You're right. And, and Penn State uh, bracketed, I think, Simi Cobbs from Indiana was the guy that they really tar- targeted in that aspect. Uh, five for 44 with a touchdown um, in that game with for the Hoosiers. So uh, Penn State had some success against a, a really good wideout like Cobbs, who I think is off to the NFL early. So, um, you know, you got to keep Pettis from beating you deep. Uh, he's, he's the number one guy, and I don't think there's any doubt about it. So keep him in front of you. That's what Penn State's defense has done a really good job over the last couple of years and you keep them in front of you and you've got a chance to to shut that aspect of the offense down you do all right second concept this is simple too uh outside stretch run you mentioned this is the base of, of washington's run game has been since chris peterson was back in boise state you know they mixed in a little bit more power as here as of late because uh, of the makeup of their offensive line but you know it, it's an outside handoff the offensive line moving in unison and you're, you're opting to get gas in a cutback lane somewhere or have a crease penn state's got just got to stay with it and you've, you've seen them have success particularly against iowa another team that loves that outside zone they did very well against it is a different team than Iowa offensive line and especially from the backfield so you know they'll have confidence against it but this isn't really a run that tries to fool you it's just a matter of execution so you know they've got to stay with their blacks maintain their leverage and again recognize it quickly because with all that Washington is going to do to try to move the rise most of the time it's going to come down to this or, or their power run look and when it comes, you know, to that that outside stretch zone, they just can't allow that crease because if Gaskin gets it again, he's so good with his cuts that he could be off and, and headed to Pater. Yeah, Parker Cothran's a guy that I, I I circle in this matchup, not because he's going to get to the outside zone, but he's got to be a guy that holds up the inside, takes away that that, that back cut, and and Gaskin's so very good at that. So um, both those defensive tackles, um, you know, they probably won't put up the stats, but if they're in the spots where they need to be, that'll show up in the rushing yards and and whatnot for Washington. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's the big thing. The other thing we talked about before, Jason Cabinda and Brandon Smith, uh, a lot of experience there. And, you know, you don't want to over-pursue. You want to be right in there. Um, you know, Smith has been as productive as any linebacker that they've had this year in terms of tackles and, and being in on the play. So I think this is the best set of linebackers they could, they could pull out for this game. Yes, it is. All right, on to prediction time. Why don't you lead us off? Uh, you know, we've talked about how good these defenses are and, you know, how interesting this is. I think they're going to hit the over, the over under 55 right now. Um, and, and you know, it's not the most bold thing I've ever said, but, you know, <laughs> I think both teams. Well, imagine if it was for a minute, just just how sad your life would have been if the boldest thing you've ever said was, yeah, I'll take the over. Well, just imagine that it wasn't almost 1 a.m. on the East Coast right now. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, this is something that everybody's expecting a low scoring game and I think Penn State and Washington can both put up some points whether that's special teams points whether that's maybe you get a pick six here or there um I just I I'd like to see a shootout I mean it's not going to be Penn State USC like it was last year but you know the Fiesta Bowl five of the last seven games and uh, and I'll give you this one the, the last uh or excuse me the seventh game was when your Yukon Huskies were in that um but that they, they, they've gone well over the 55 point threshold and even into the 70s and 80s so um should be a fun game to watch uh conditions not an issue obviously um new offensive coordinators will be different but at the same time you know you're gonna have an opportunity to uh to put some points on the board so uh, i'll go with the over and with that said it's probably gonna end up 13 to 10 
<laughs> Can't wait for that. Um, well, I'm going to go with you here, bud. I'm going to say there's going to be a special teams return touchdown. I don't know who it's going to be, but when you look at Barkley and Pettis, both of them on the field at the same time against the units, you don't have as much confidence in as you might have at some other point in the season. Penn State, obviously, without Herb Charles. And, of course, Washington, you know, in kick returns has not been the best because they're not able to generate touchbacks. One of these guys is going to have a shot, and I think they're going to capitalize. And this might be the play that ultimately kind of swings the game. They're very evenly matched teams with their weak spots that the opponent should be able to take advantage of. Um, but here, whoever's able to jump on this special teams in that third often forgotten phase, I think has a big edge and it's going to happen. But who knows right now? I mean, we could even see the opening kick or the very first punt taken back. That, that's how much confidence I have that this is going to get done. I like where your head's at. And also don't, don't sell DeAndre Tompkins short. He had a phenomenal year as a punt returner this year. So he, he's also in the, in the picture for that special teams return touchdown Andrew Callahan Award for the Fiesta Bowl. So, um, yeah, there's plenty. <laughs> this will this will be right after they hand out the actual trophy. Basically, it's before. Actually, I don't. I, a lot of people don't know that, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Very good. It's gonna be fun, and you're gonna be there, and I'm gonna be in Florida, and uh, we'll both be a little bit warmer than it is in State College right now, which really isn't that hard to do. No, it is not. Um, but. Yeah, no, this has been fun. I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, you know, you look forward and build up to something. Obviously, you're going to look forward to it. But I, I, like I said earlier, they're very well-coached teams, a lot of star power on both sides. There's no history between the two programs, but I think the first chapter uh, is going to be a really good one. Well, the first chapter was in 1921 when Penn State took the train across country to play. I I don't even want to get into that. Penn State leads the series 2-0. We will see you're how already they're... here. You've taken the train more than halfway. You might as well finish the ride. <laughs> Penn State leads the series 2-0 uh the the storied series uh 2-0 including a, i believe it a win in the aloha bowl uh in the 80s so um a little bit of history there not enough to mention and like i said it's almost 1 a.m here on the east coast and i'm done my heady topper that your parents brought me down from new england so i think it's about time to call it call it a day yeah aloha to goodbye and uh we will see you next time after the fiesta bowl here in the lines 24 7 podcast happy new year bud Happy New Year to you too, buddy. Enjoy Arizona.